Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. It sounds like we just took a commercial break, but in <laughs> fact, it's been a week since you last heard our, our, our dulcet tones. Uh, this Ooh. is episode 12. Uh, I am Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. And today I'm joined by two of the team. I'm joined by Johnny Chiadini, head of video for Dicebreaker. How are you, Johnny? I'm all right. I'm not t- too bad. I had last week off, so I'm feeling surprisingly well-rested, which is a, pl- a pleasing thing. Excellent, I'm glad to hear. And we are also joined by Alex Meehan, staff writer for Dicebreaker. How are you doing, Meehan? Uh, I'm full of noodles at the moment, so I'm a little bit like bloated. A... Oh, okay, it's it's not a kind of saying, it's a literal... <laughs> you're literally full of noodles. Yeah, I've never heard that saying before. Well, people say, uh, like, full of beans. It could be, yeah, I don't know, I'm a Meehan family <laughs> idiom. Yeah, I, actually, I wouldn't put it past your family at all. Like, how are you feeling this morning? Well, yesterday I was full of marrow rum, but today I'm just absolutely Aww. packed to the gills with noodles. No one ever wants to be full of marrow rum. Mm-mm. Believe mm. it, you, me. And if you are, go straight to your nearest doctor. <laughs> Every time you say marrow rum, for some reason I think of, like, the Kessel Run from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a really terrible version of the Kessel Run. She made the marrow run in less than 12 shots. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well... The- there's probably more than 12 shots of rum in some marrow. In rum. your average marrow, yeah. In your average marrow, yeah. But we're not here to talk about marrows, well. We're not here to talk mostly about marrows. Mm. We're here to talk about <laughs> board games and tabletop RPGs. Is this uh, your subtle plan to tr- transform this podcast into a solely into marrow-based a entertainment? I've been watching a lot of Spring Watch, so yeah, it's, <gasps> it's happening. <laughs> I can turn oh. any vegetable into an alcoholic beverage if you try hard enough. I would... Okay, as much as I dislike the Mara Rum, and I really do, I would love a series where someone just does that, like tries to transform every single kind of vegetable into an alcohol. See you must like. try the absinthe yam. It truly is delicious. <laughs> mm. Anyway, moving on to board games. Mm. Uh, let's start with you, Mian. What have you been playing this week? Oh, What have I been playing? Uh, well... I've been playing uh, with the old tabletop simulator uh, with my friends Um, and we played Sushi Go Party which is a favourite amongst Mm us Um, and uh, I lost both times (laughs) which is fairly standard Um, we had a little bit of trouble with the mod because uh, I was a fool and didn't realise I had to be a certain colour in order to operate all the stuff. So we basically launched it and we were like, where are all the cards? Uh, and then we spent about five minutes trying to work out what to do. And then I was like, oh, hang on. Let me suddenly change the right colour. And then I could see everything. Hmm. You can just press the buttons to get it to like deal the cards you want. Uh, it's actually quite nifty. It's like, oh, select some tiles, and it randomly selects them for you, and then deal like the cards. Uh, and although you have to like in the game add desserts every single round, and I forgot to do that on the last round, which meant that those free green tea ice creams I'd collected were basically useless because I couldn't score points because you needed four and there weren't any left in the final round. So, um, yeah, uh, boo-boo, I'm a fool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
But that's a great game. I really love Sushi Go Party. Uh, and Sushi Go. They're really good games to introduce to people who don't play games that much. Because um, they're really simple and they've got a really nice visual kind of look to them. Like you're passing around the cards. Usually physically, although in this case we were fumbling around with the digital cards <laughs> in the game. And Chucking at one... them into the void. Yeah, at one point view. my friend was like, uh, guys, I don't know where my cards have gone. And I was like, okay. Uh, so we had to restart the game because oh. we just lost a load of cards. <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. Um, that was fun, for the most part. Uh, and then we also played... A... You're not going to be very happy with me, Johnny. I attempted to teach the crew to my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just forgot like how to play it and I was looking through the rule book and it was like half nine in the evening Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh I'm so tired and I was like guys can we play something I really actually know how to play okay Um, I'm not seeing where I should be disappointed with you like it's more the fact that you love that game and you've taught us how to play it and then it's all like it's gone in one ear and just fallen out what did you play instead uh we (laughs) You're gonna dislike this even more. We we played the mind. Instead. Oh no, I am disappointed in you. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want to, but my friends were like, "Oh, it's close enough." And I was like, oh. "How are we gonna play?" Who are these friends, and and when are they free for a fight? <laughs> oh, um, I don't think they'd stand much of a chance, to be honest. No, I Challenge agree. them to a duel over scythe. Yeah, you mm. are virtually slapping the glove. Um. Yeah, and it's a, not a great game to play over Tabletop Simulator, fondly enough, because mm. you can't really gauge people's physical, you know, reactions to what's going on. Yeah, it's all expression. about atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah, the mind. It's like a game where you have to play numbered cards in succession, like numeral succession, and you don't know what everyone's got. So you have to kind of chance it and, like, feel out the atmosphere. But obviously, because we couldn't see each other... Uh, we were using weird metaphors to try and describe how close we think we were to each card. One of these was, how close are the hobbits to Isengard? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's kind of like interesting, because like, I think in, in the mind the mind, you're not allowed to talk, right? It's, no. all, it's all about like being around each other and kind of exactly. reading body language. Or at least that's what it says in the book. It's like, oh, you're, you're developing a psychic connection. Uh, Sounds but, like new age rubbish to me. When you can't see each other either, mm. and you're just completely removed in silence and without anyone around you, I guess it's kind of odd. Yeah, no, that hence the metaphors. Hence <laughs> the okay, how close are you to Isengard? Oh, I'm in the forests outside. <laughs> or, or like I can see Saruman like waving his hair up there. You, you get me. We yeah. were trying to use a sort of different language to describe how close we were. Um, that was fun. Innovative. Uh, and my flatmate and I uh, picked up um, Pandemic Legacy Season 1 again. Oh, hello. Because we, we'd fallen off the bandwagon for a bit because life happens. Uh, and we were like, no, we I had some time off as well. So we used some of that time off to... Uh, do another month 
which is like another game. Uh, and our winning streak continues. Ooh. We have only lost a single game of Pandemic Legacy, and we are now on to June. So Whoa. we're halfway through the Whoa. game. You've That's actually really one? impressive. Yeah, I don't know what's happened. We're both very paranoid that we've been playing the game wrong. Like, That's we just huge. Yeah, I feel but... like in both those games, April was where we got absolutely just beaten to a pulp by the game essentially it's, uh, thing, i just remember losing within a, a matter of turns and then being like okay let's repeat the thing this thing is we're getting the idea that we're not like cheating or like unconsciously cheating because every time we win we only just win so like this time um there were multiple ways that we could have lost in in that turn that we won so, like, if I hadn't been able to perform the actions I needed to on my turn, mm. we would have just outright lost. But there were, like, multiple ways we could have lost. Like, we were about to run out of cards. We had multiple outbreaks happen. Um, you know, it wasn't like we were sailing through. And the first game we lost, I think, was was the first one, was, like, January. Hmm. But then straight, like, after that, every single month after that, we've been winning. And to the point where we don't have any, like, bonus cards anymore to help us. Wow. And we even made it harder for ourselves by forgetting some of the upgrades we had on the board. And yet we still won somehow. Like, it's it's a little bit, like, I'm a little bit paranoid that we've been playing it wrong. But Well, when you're good, you're good. Maybe yeah, and I think just... if you're only just winning, that sounds like it's probably because I think if you were cheating by mistake, you would just wipe through it easily. Mm. So, yeah, you know, no, yeah, don't like... don't discredit your own, you know, your own skill. It. Yeah, I know. We just have so many people tell us it's so hard. I can't believe you're winning this much. I don't know. Um, like when I, I mean, I didn't finish season one, but I we lost once or twice, but it didn't. Like I mean, don't get me wrong. If I were where you are now, I would be. I would be surprised by my streak but i don't think it's like nails i don't know but then the first couple of years after i started playing pandemic when i was still playing it relatively regularly that entire time we didn't realize that you win when you cure all four diseases we thought you had to eradicate, uh, all eradicate four. Yeah. oh yeah so we'd never won like and there was one time we got we were like one cube away from a total victory so we were actually playing on like an obscenely long hard mode. Hard yeah. mode. So maybe now just normal pandemic feels a lot more forgiving. Strange. Yeah, I mean eradicating a disease is actually like really useful, especially if you can do that early in mm. the game, because then you know you've got more of a chance of cards being drawn during the infection stage oh, exactly, that do yeah. absolutely nothing. And when that happens, it's like such a feeling of relief and like there were times during the infection phase that we were like oh my goodness we cannot have this card be drawn we cannot and it comes up and we were like oh because then there was a at one point there was a chain reaction of three outbreaks happened at once and we were like that was near the beginning of the game and we were like this is not a good sign for what's going to happen but somehow we managed to claw it back um but 
you know, the thing that continues to impress me about the game is the fact that you're basically doing the same thing every time, roughly, but it never feels boring and it always feels like a different experience. And I think it's because each month changes the mechanics just enough mm. that it feels fresh, like a fresh... Ex- it helps that there are quite a few random elements um, that, again you know add to the 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 fresh feeling uh, but and it's always that tense there are like multiple moments of tension where we're like if this happens if we draw this card then we lose mm. and like my friend was it's been about a minute shuffling the cards and i was like are you going to put them down and they were like i don't want to do it because <laughs> <laughs> they're convinced they're cursed because they They've had a history of drawing exactly the one card we do not want mm. to be drawn because it will cause an outbreak. But no, um, yeah, it, I'm glad we've you know started playing it again, and I do want us to finish it because you're a great advocate for season two, are you not, Mr. Jarvis? I am. I take the position that season two is better than season one. I oh. really love season one, but Hot season take. two, I think. And it might be because I just played so much, so much Pandemic, but season two kind of flips it all on its head from the off, um, and is it kind of moves away from. It still feels like Pandemic, but there's enough of a change where it instantly kind of hits you that this isn't just Pandemic. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, I really like season two, and I'm I'm kind of fascinated to see what they do in season three, mm. um, which will be out sometime. I can you know. Yeah, I let's mean, say it's not, not any time soon. Yeah. I would imagine it's not the right time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even right now, I feel guilty about talking about season one. But at the same time, if if you separate it from the theme, it's still a really great game. Yeah. And like, yeah, like they definitely will find a better time to release season three. And you know that it's a big game. It makes sense beyond just the the connection with the theme that they would wait to release it because they they want people to be able to access it easily mm. you know yeah it's a big game just because of the yeah. the legacy of pandemic okay. legacy okay. so yeah that's what i've been playing <laughs> all right excellent johnny what have you been playing um it's kind of a lot of the same stuff i always talk about when i come on the podcast uh, obviously i've been playing a lot of deadlands because i play a lot of deadlands um, I had a really lovely moment in um, the last session we ran where uh, the the posse got like a break from all the normal shenanigans and they were traveling first class on the train. Everyone got dressed up for dinner. Everyone had drinks and like did some amazing character stuff and everyone relaxed. And then I described the train going to an unscheduled halt and everyone put their heads in their hands because they knew that it was <laughs> over and the next horrible thing had arrived. And I felt so guilty. I wanted to take it back. <laughs> Because like I always feel like when I'm GMing, like the dream is when I've got 20 minutes or or more, where I don't have to talk because everyone's just propelling the action themselves, and it was beautiful. Everyone was having such a nice time, and then I was like, "But you know, life's hard, right?" Everyone was like, "Oh no!" So, it's too real, Johnny. I know. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> that was pretty powerful. Um, off the back of that, I have I haven't been playing Doomtown Reloaded. Um, but I have been going through my cards because there's a couple of expansions I've not even played with uh, that I own. So I'm trying to just slowly catch myself up on the meta 
while sort of daydreaming about spooky cowboys. Um, so that when we, you know, uh, when the restrictions on quarantine lift and I can, I can slap leather uh, with people in person, I'm going to be like top of my game with some fun new decks. Um, and apart from that, uh, I'm playing a bit of Gloomhaven uh, as, as part of our continuing series on uh, the channel. This week's episode uh, is already up um, and we got stomped. It was the first time we'd really struggled because um, we were sort of doing the introductory missions and then there was one particular scenario and from the looks of things I was like this might be above our pay grade I don't know but we decided to do it anyway and that was a huge mistake um, <laughs> we got absolutely battered but it was in a weird way quite rewarding because it showed me for the first time what it's like to play Gloomhaven with your back properly against the wall um, and also we're becoming quite a tight-knit unit now like me wheels and lowlies like our, our playthrough is really satisfying um, but yeah, it was also just nice to see what that game's like when it's it stops handling you with kid gloves and decides to to break your face, because uh, it did so admirably. It really did. <laughs> Gloomhaven. So I haven't played the digital version for mm. Clarity, but I remember the the board game version just being at points just just unbelievably tough. Yeah. Because when I was when we first started playing it. Um, we played, I don't know, however many scenarios, and we realised we were actually not exhausting, like uh, exhausting our deck. So I think you take cards out, right? It's been a little while. Yeah. But your your deck kind of gradually goes down as you use some of your more powerful moves, and yep. then you can eventually just end up exhausted and kind of running out of cards. Mm -hmm. um, but we weren't doing that. So the first few scenarios were like, oh, okay, this is, you know, we'd heard some tough things, but this is fine. Yeah. And then when we realised that rule and started playing properly with the full rules it was like oh right this is what everyone was on about <laughs> this it is, is really hard yeah i'm at the minute i'm having a sort of you know like it feels like the honeymoon period for me in gloomhaven is now over whereas before i was like oh what a lovely exciting game now when you draw a card to determine whether you do bonus damage or less damage or or no damage or double damage or whatever um it's that's grating on me a little bit because I think what it what it does is the the moments of triumph are nice when you're like hooray I've done you know big damage but I also feel like a lot of the time that stuff comes out when we've already calculated how much damage we want to do because we're really planning carefully so when it then just says like oh time zero actually you do nothing it makes me feel stupid for daring to hope and that's a strange feeling like mm. I don't like it when games make me feel dumb for trying um so at the minute, like, I'm not a big fan of that mechanic. Ask me in a week and, you know, I'll probably be back in love with it, but it's it's a bit strange. So that's, yeah, I've been playing some Gloomhaven. Oh, and uh, I'm no longer playing Diplomacy. Oh. Uh, the game I began on, I believe it was the 23rd of April, <laughs> finally ended last week, and I won. Well, I, it was a joint win. I was Ooh. Italy the whole time. Congrats. And Austria and I teamed up, and we decided to go for a, a dual victory, and we did it, and it was nice. Uh, it was just fun to not betray anyone for an entire game. It was terrifying. I kept thinking he was coming after me, but we, we did it. So it was good. But it felt mean Excellent. bringing the game to an end, because we were like, Aww. we basically put out a press release being like, you've already lost. Surrender now. And they did. So it was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> So, so yeah. this is on Backstabber. This is, yes. People um, wondering. Yeah. Which, uh, sorry. 
other no, I was just gonna say it's it's like a free client, so you know it's got its own inbox functionality, and you can play anonymously, which we did, which was the most fun I think I've ever had with diplomacy. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a really nifty system. It's good. Yeah, I love the idea of the press. So for people who haven't seen Backstabber, you have like a section called press, which is essentially the messages. Mm-hmm. So when you're referring to a press release, it's almost quite literally that, where you yeah. just pick kind of the uh, recipients and send it to everyone. Yeah. Which is very funny because in actual diplomacy, you're all in the same room. And so it's just like a lot of mean looks at each other and yeah, kind I, of filthy glances. I'm never playing diplomacy in person again. Like I I, uh, I I sort of I wrote about this for the site actually about how, how playing online changed it from a game I really don't like to one I, I cherish. Uh, it's just great. Playing things by post is wonderful. Like uh, I know Wheels last week he was already talking about single player RPGs, wasn't he? I've already yes. I've I've played the machine, which I assume he was talking about, and I've posted that on. And it's I can't wait to find out where that's going and who's got it and read it again. Um I just wanna I want to buy lots and lots of stamps and send my friends fun letters. That's where I yeah. am with, with lockdown right now. But yeah. You say fun letters, but the machine is like a really kind <laughs> the of machine's dark, horrible, twisted. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're cursed now. Here's this book that you need to write in and succumb to your eventual doom. Have fun. Yeah, maybe my <laughs> idea of fun doesn't normally align with with, you know, that of others, but Hey, I was like, you know, an early naughty emo kid. It's it's not me, man. Play the machine over vampirefreaks.com. <laughs> what is that? Oh, just me. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, it was kind of <laughs> like MySpace for, you for edgy kids. Oh, no, it was like an actual thing. It was kind of like okay. a MySpace for the emo scene. Mm-hmm. You know, that. If you imagine mid-80s The Cure as MySpace... That's kind is, of the vibe it was going for. The thing is, you say you know, and I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> when I was uh, a younger person, I never had an emo stage. Like, it was a, it's strange. It's like, like all my... I, I knew a lot of people who, were, who did have an emo stage. In fact, most people my age did. Uh, most, let's clarify... Most people who were weirdos when they were younger, like I was, mm. did. But for some reason, I just seemed to never, like, I never listened to, like, My Chemical Romance. I never listened to, you know, like, uh, any of the kind of really big emo music of the time. Um, yeah, I never backcombed my hair, none of that stuff. I was just sat there uh, listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> At the age of like fourteen, <laughs> yeah. Um, that I guess that's why I'm a Victorian person because I just don't. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Victorian. Era. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, no, more like trends just don't happen. Yeah, like uh, I did go through the early noughties like indie music trend, and that's now just something that is just sort of a permanent part of me but I have a greater awareness of it um, but like I wouldn't say that was a huge trend I guess that it was more like a music trend it wasn't mm. like a culture trend like emo was so maybe I'm just so out of touch with what's going on maybe that's the the origins of, of that I loved that one song they did California Consumption it was really good <laughs> 
So what have you been playing, Matt? I have been playing nothing to do with the Red Hot Chili Peppers or the Victorian era. Actually, that's not true. Uh, but we'll get on to that. Mm. I have been playing, speaking of very tough games, I played Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Um, I played the digital version because it was included in the the kind of incredible itch bundle of... Is it in it there? It was like 1,700 games. Is something it in like the, that. the big one? I didn't know it was yeah, in so there. Oh, this goodness, is the I'll have to find it bundle for racial diversity and equality yeah. i think it's mm-hmm. called so uh if you're listening to this it's now ended uh it raised over eight million dollars which you know yeah good on good on itch and everyone yeah. that contributed to that bundle and everyone that backed that bundle um so that's going to towards the black lives matter movement and related charities and groups um but yeah it's it was this incredible bundle for people who don't know of there were indie video games in there there were tabletop rpgs there were kind of there's visual novels and interactive fiction and there's a series of essays about metal gear solid for some reason that's just <laughs> among everything else oh there's my goodness cool i bet you i bet you just saw those and you were like right i know what i'm doing my sunday <laughs> afternoon now <laughs> <laughs> i haven't read them yet uh but i did yeah so i stumbled across flashpoint fire rescue uh which is a it's a co-op game about your your firefighters and you are trying to rescue people inside a burning home so you, the beginner game, there are two modes. So there's the beginner game where you are just general firefighters and you walk in, you can extinguish fires, you can carry people out to safety and chop down walls uh, and so on. So you have, and then the fire spreads randomly at the end of each turn. But the advanced uh, variant, which is kind of the full game, you then get firefighters with different specialties. So there's one that specializes in, I think they're called a hazmat specialist. So there's an explosive flammable container of some kind in there and there's um like a fire captain who can command other firefighters to get extra actions there's a ambulance gurney you have to move around the edges uh, and like a fire deck gun i think they call it so you can spray into certain areas of the house mm-hmm. it's it's really hard um yeah it's really really tough because uh, the fire like i say it spreads randomly and it will cause smoke and then if something catches fire next to smoke it will spread and if it then hits walls it destroys the walls and there's only so much structural integrity to the house so we played a few times last night and lost every time wow but it was really good and the digital version which i'd not played before is really slick looking and is a really good version of that game weirdly it's got like a it's got a weird overcooked vibe because it's got very jaunty music and the I fire mean, has I this find, kind of cartoonish look to it. I find that like very morbid. You comparing it to Overcooked? Yeah, well, that's the strange something thing. Something certainly like, is cooking in that game. Yeah, the <laughs> the game it's itself is like like the people inside the ho- uh, inside the house can succumb to the flames at all. Mm. So yeah. there's this kind of jaunty music and oh, like God. cartoony atmosphere, and it did feel a bit at odds with what you were doing. Um, Do you but think the game they just itself used really assets or something that they could get a hold of? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. It's mm. not exactly the same, but it, it definitely has some similarities with that kind of visual presentation and audio. Um, so, yeah, it's if you've got that bundle, it's in there. <laughs> Try and search it out. I think there yeah. is a search function in that bundle There is, now, blessedly. There so yeah. many games. I'm really yeah. glad that you, you have to add things to your library for them to show up, because otherwise yeah. it would just be untenable. Uh, so yeah, I played that, and then speaking of Victorian things, we played the Dishonored RPG this week, uh, which will be up on the channel at some point, uh, which is kind of set in a pseudo-Victorian world, uh, based on the video games. Um, and I enjoyed that very much. We were GM'd by Alex Meehan. 
Yes. The one and only. Who did a, yeah, who oh. put together a very fun oh. little adventure in Dunwall mm. with I the least the street gang street gang consisting of like a book writer and a slightly posh uh, like super powered posh person essentially who's a duelist <laughs> yeah mm. yeah um yeah it was yeah so i do gm a... i've gm'd a decent amount but like not you know not as often as i play and especially when you're doing a new system which you know this dishonored system which is based on the d20 system that Modifius, the publishers, use a lot. Um, it is quite stressful mm. when you're having to do that, and there's just quite a few factors involved. Um, you know, it's enough that you have to run a story and operate NPCs and, you know, keep an eye on, like, where characters are in a spatial sense. But then you're also, like, having to remember exactly how the system works, um, which we had a few hiccups, um, but I think it's okay. The system, mm. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's got its positives and it's got its negatives. Yeah, I, I mean, for what it's worth, I thought you ran it very smoothly, um, mm. but I did, I did feel underwhelmed by the system itself. Mm. I think what it does very well is it gets you thinking about the manner in which you're doing things. Because to get a target number, you've got skills and you've got styles. So it could be move, talk, fight, um, you know, whatever. And you could be doing that carefully, quietly, forcefully, boldly. Um, so if you move boldly, you add your move number to your boldly number and you try and roll under that with two D20s. Um, and that was good fun. But I know that we were, you know, only starting characters, but I was playing like a proper bruiser. Um, and the thing I was very best in the world at, i.e. punching people in the mouth, my target number was 11, which is just a smidge over a 50-50 shot. Um, so, you know, a lot of the time when I felt when I succeeded, I felt very lucky, and when I failed, I, again, I felt stupid, and I was like, oh, I just, this is what I'm meant to be great at, and I, mm. I missed. I think it's... I, I kind of see what they're going for because mm. obviously the thing is with with the D the two D twenty system it's something that they've used for a lot of their RPGs regardless of the the setting or the universe it's based on. So with Dishonored, on the one hand, you know, in the video game you're playing someone who's like very powerful, like they can teleport, they can like stop time, you know, things like that. Whereas, obviously, in the RPG, if you had everyone capable of doing things like that, I think it would go off the rails and people wouldn't have a sense of their own, like, oh, this is my character's vulnerabilities. You know, they are a person in this world. Mm. Um, and I think uh, I think it does tackle with that with mixed results. So, on the one hand... You know, it does, as a GM, it does kind of outline for you the difficulty ratings are quite broad, that's a thing. You know, it goes from zero, which is just don't bother with a skill test, to five successes, which is like all, nigh on impossible. Mm. Uh, even for like, 
you know, very experienced characters who have much higher skills and styles. And like where you choose to put, you know, your your skill tests within that range is entirely up to the GM. And because it's so broad, sometimes you don't really it can be a bit tough to figure out okay where do i put this mm. because in your mind you're like i think this would be quite hard but translating that into like an actual range of difficulty you know you want to make sure that it is possible particularly with the the player characters you've got in your group um but also you don't want to make it a cakewalk mm. because you want to it, you want it to reflect in the the you know the challenge difficulty what it's kind of like within the game so i think it has strengths in terms of i think it lowers the complicated you know the complicated aspects that some rpgs have of your character has this million like proficiencies you know this is what they can do you know character sheets in the dishonored rpg are quite straightforward mm. um but they still give you a, an opportunity to reflect who your character is. It's not like, paper, you know, copy and paste. Mm. Um, but I think it's harder on the... I think the GM can have a harder time with that because they have to... They have to kind of... It, what's the word? Like, express a lot more of their own decision-making. Yeah. That is, it's on them, like, how difficult something's going to be. Yeah. Um, I found the um from the player side like it like you're saying I mean it's kind of like it's both flexible but it's also weirdly rigid because oh. there were times where it's like okay there are kind of five five skills and five styles which are like you say are pretty broad it's like carefully boldly but then you would just get weird edge cases where it's like well I'm doing this and it's not really carefully or cleverly it's somewhere in between those and so you start trying to like justify what you're doing into like a like almost the box of what could be clever versus careful yeah and so there are just certain odd edge cases where it's like well i'm kind of rolling on this but it's not exactly what i'm trying to do and i guess that's like any rpgs you you fudge it a little bit mm. but it just oh. felt a point like oh this is it's a cool idea for a system and it allows you to do a lot but like you say like with the gm it kind of throws it open to you it then is just kind of like, yeah, you know, pick the two that you think fits best. And at points, like, if there was just a tiny bit more structure around some of the key things you were doing, it would be helpful. Because otherwise it's like, well, I don't know, like, I'm talking to this person, but I'm just kind of talking to them, mm. like, boldly, forcefully, carefully, doesn't really apply here. Mm. We're just having a normal conversation. So then you start being like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to like force a question out of them or force some kind of answer rather than just having a conversation to get simple detail i don't know i think oh. for me the, the the problem was like going into this um i was aware that obviously blaze in the dark exists and that is very heavily and very unapologetically influenced by dishonored as a series um so i was wondering whether dishonored could do a better job at representing itself than blaze in the dark and I left feeling like no, like <laughs> like in terms of the system, it doesn't. Um, so for like for me, it would be a no-brainer as to like blade blades or dishonored blades. Um, yeah, I think I like that. I do like the styles aspect because I 
think it it helps players to to do things in a way that they perhaps wouldn't think of so usually you know you are still open to describe like how you want to do it within the game mm. but then obviously translating that to a skill test i think you can still customize it with the styles i think they do help with you know saying i'm doing it this way because you know my character is a quite a brusque like straightforward person like and they are just outright asking this person this question like this and i can see what it's trying to do but on the other hand i think it is quite it's definitely not perfect mm-hmm. in the sense that yeah, it doesn't quite provide all the tools you might need to, to, you know, run this in a certain way. Like it, it was still, you know, I it still worked. Yeah. But there were like a few moments where I was sat there running through my head, going, "Okay, how how do I do this? Like, how are they going to do this?" Hmm. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because I'm not used to using a system like that or whether it's the system itself. But, yeah. All there right. you go. Excellent. Let's move on to news. So, uh, at the top of this, because it's it was meant to be happening this weekend, um, I would imagine quite a few people have seen now, but Origins Online, which was replacing Origins Game Fair, the uh, large US convention uh, that takes place each summer, uh, that's been cancelled uh, it was due to take place from the 19th to the 21st of June. So that's this weekend, if you're listening to this podcast as it goes live. Um, and it was cancelled uh, essentially in response to the organiser, so Gamma, which is the trade um, body, the game, let me get this correct, the Game Manufacturers Association, um, which hosts Origins. Uh, they failed to make a statement on Black Lives Matter, and so a number of people of color and black creators and other members of the industry spoke out against their silence in response to you know, the ongoing protests and the uh, opposition to police brutality and racism and injustice happening. Um, and some of the some of the industry members who were set to take part in panels and talks and host the show uh, pulled out in solidarity, uh, leading Gamma to announced that the show was cancelled. They did then make a statement on Black Lives Matter, although it was decidedly lacking, let's say. Um, they basically acknowledged that they had not said anything quick enough uh, and said that anyone who requested a refund could instead request that their money go towards... Uh, let me find the exact thing. So organisations including Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, the Black Trans Live, uh, Black Trans Advocacy Coalition, the Columbus Freedom Fund, the Community Justice Exchange, and the Innocence Project, um, and they said they would match anyone that refunded their ticket price or exhibitor price and ask for it to go towards that. Uh, but it didn't commit to a minimum amount, um, so it just said it would match any people who requested their own money would go towards those instead. Um, so there's obviously a lot involved in this uh, and. You know, we obviously stand with the the people who stood in solidarity against this. Obviously, mm-hmm. silence is complicity at this point. You know, it's pretty shocking that such a large trade body was unable to make a statement before it's too late. Um, and even when that statement came out, it was, as I say, kind of lacking. Um, 
So you know, if you want the full information on that, uh, that's out there. But it, the short of it is that that event will no longer take place. Mm. Uh, the physical event will then happen this October, and we'll we'll see if any changes are in place by then. Uh, and on a similar similar line uh, regarding Black Lives Matter, uh, which is obviously the protest still taking place, we hope everyone uh, taking part in this protest is staying safe. You know, we stand in solidarity with you. If you're unable to participate in those protests in person, you know, we hope you're lending your support uh, and helping other voices to be heard. Um, and there have been a number of bundles. We spoke about the Itch Bundle already. Uh, there have been some on Drive Through RPG. There's a lot of initiatives going on to fundraise for Black Lives Matter and other organisations at the moment. Mm. Um, which leads us to Dissident Whispers, which is a collection of adventures for various role-playing games, which was announced, or released, sorry, uh, today. So as of June 17th, it's available in digital form. Alex, me and you wrote the story. Uh, what's inside this collection? Yes, I did write the story. Um, it's quite... Uh, it's quite an impressive... Yeah, collection of of adventures, so um, storylines that you know GMs can use for like a very wide variety of RPGs, uh, mostly focusing on kind of indie um, games. So that there is stuff for Five E, um, but there's also uh, adventures for uh, a sci-fi horror game called Mothership. Um, which has some really awesome art, and the the uh, it was published by the same company that's publishing the Dissident Whispers book itself, uh, and also Morkborg, which we've covered previously, which is kind of like a post-apocalyptic um, hellscape uh, RPG, um, and like tons of others on top of that. And it's essentially like your, it's essentially like the Avengers of RPGs in terms of like it's brought a very wide, you know, variety of people together, writers, artists, you know, producers, um, from all kinds of backgrounds, to create their kind of vision of of RPGs, and then, you know, uh, collect it all together into one book. And um, yeah, it's it's on sale right now. The PDF version, uh, as Mr. Jarvis said, uh, and essentially all kind of initial profits generated by it are going to the NNAACP. So, oh, sorry, the National Bail Fund Network, um, which is like an organisation uh, kind of focused around. You know, stopping people from being incarcerated unfairly, uh, and generally helping people deal with difficult situations surrounding that. Um, and then uh, there is a physical copy coming, um, which is available to pre-order at the moment, and I think it's coming next month. Um, and uh, essentially, once the initial profits are collected. The rest of the money uh, raised it will be kind of spread across various uh, charities and funds in support of Black Lives Matter. So, um, yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. And you get, uh, you know, 50 different adventures 
in one book and the money goes to a really good cause. So the art is also awesome. The front cover was done by um, an artist called... Uh, I've got it here somewhere. Jabari Weathers, who has done artwork for Harlem Unbound, um, which I want to play real bad. Um, and it's just awesome. Like, I recommend you go and look at her work as well, because when I was kind of doing my research, I was like, oh, yeah, there's some really awesome tableaus there. So, yeah, Dissident Whispers. Excellent. Uh, sticking on an RPG train, uh, this is kind of an interesting one. So it was a it was announced a while back, um, but they've just given it a release date. Roll Twenty, which is the the folks behind the kind of virtual tabletop. I never know really what to call it because it's kind of like a yeah. virtual tabletop, but it's you end up adding so many words to explain what it is. But it's essentially a website where you can play RPGs and do maps and chat and roll fake dice and virtual yep. dice. Um, they've announced that they are making an RPG, uh, which is called Burn Bright. Bright spelled B-R-Y-T-E. Of course it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's their first RPG, I believe, uh, that's developed in-house, and it is exclusive to Roll20, as you'd expect, from the people that make Roll20. So it's designed specifically, they say, to be played online using their own platform, uh, which is it's kind of interesting as a concept. Uh, the... The kind of setting of it is sci-fi-ish. It's kind of said to be inspired or influenced by Star Wars and Voltron and things like that. Um, it kind of takes place in a universe where the edges are being burnt away by, I think, something called literally The Burn. Um, as as is the way in fancy uh, or tabletop RPGs. Why, you know, why come up with something else when you can just call it The uh, and let it do what it does? Bernie um, Sanders is just out there destroying bits of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, that's what I was instantly thinking about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. It's out next month, the start of next month, July seventh. Um, and like I say, they say that it's been designed to be played online specifically. So they mention here, uh, you can create customizable characters in a matter of seconds. You can customize the spaceship that you fly around in as a crew. Uh, you can roll on random tables really easily because it's all digital. And they just say. Uh, well, they suggest that the gameplay involves rolling, quote, fistfuls of dice, which sounds like one of those things where if it was a physical tabletop game, it would be an absolute nightmare. But because it's all digital, they're just like, yeah, chuck all the dice in because you can just click and it adds up 40 dice at once. So, uh, yeah, play to your well, strengths. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's got it's got kind of a cool art style and it sounds interesting. You know, sci-fi RPGs of this nature are kind of a uh, dime a dozen at some point. But hmm. It's cool to see people kind of experimenting, particularly in the current era we're in, where a lot of people are playing online, mm. uh, kind of seeing how far they can push the idea of playing RPGs online and see what they can use uh, technology-wise. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of a no-brainer, really. Like, I found out about this and went, oh, yeah, of course they're making an RPG specifically for play during, you know, mm. in, in Roll20. I think, you know, more power to them. It's their platform. Um, and, yeah, like you say, I, you know, it's it's interesting to see what people can do with technology like a specific te technological setup front and center rather than sort of saying oh you can budget to play like this like another game actually from the um the racial equality uh, bundle on itch um is this discord has ghosts in it which is an <laughs> rpg for up to 12 people where you set up a discord um and it, it the discord gets more and more channels as people are basically exploring a haunted mansion 
So all of the, the channels have room names and stuff like that. And you either play as an investigator or a ghost. And if you're playing as an investigator, you can only use your mic and you have to be set to push to talk. So using it like a walkie talkie. If you're a ghost, you can only type. Um, and it sounds absolutely bananas, but it's a game that really you can only pull off on Discord. No. Like I can't think of any other way that, that that would be as engaging. So Yeah. It's similar think, to Oh sorry, me and I was just say I think I find that fascinating. Like I always I'm always impressed by any piece of art or or you know, creative media that uses limitations to its advantage or like uses its platform, like actually uses it. You know, especially when it comes to like horror, I find I love that, and like I think that you know with 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 that RPG and with um, the RPG that Will's covered recently. Yes, um, Alice is missing. Alice yeah. is missing. Mm. Oh like, man, I can't wait for that. Which uses purely text channels, and I think that's really I love the idea of you know creatively we're going beyond just the traditional like. Here is your rule system. Here is your world. Here are your NPCs. Which, you know, that format will always work. It will always be there. But like actually experimenting beyond that with with how you interact with the RPG, I think that this is. I think perhaps we're seeing a new wave of like RPGs, like a new creative movement, like a new art movement. Yeah but for RPGs. Yeah, that is a, a hope of, obviously, beyond the surface level, like, it's obviously for a fantastic cause. That itch bundle, like, I, I have no idea how many people purchased it in the end, but you just hope that it's opening up, like I say, literally, you know, 1,700 games, many of which are tabletop RPGs, to a whole audience that wouldn't have experienced mm. them otherwise. And a lot of them... A lot of the games on itch are that kind of they're smaller they're indie they are more experimental and inventive and so you just hope that that maybe then plants those seeds for future designers who try something really fascinating that they wouldn't have encountered otherwise and then that leads to something else in the future so yeah uh on a sci-fi trend uh, a very quick one star wars uh fortunately it's not a monopoly this time or something of that ilk uh, but it is another star wars uh, spin-off uh, unlock the kind of escape room in a box series uh, which we've discussed a little bit before I know that Wills is a fan uh, they mm. are it's getting a, a Star Wars box set uh, of three kind of scenarios inspired by they say they are set during the original trilogy but they're not based on the film specifically so they kind of take place uh, with the background of uh, like Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi and so on okay uh, so yeah, I mean, Unlock is... It's not my favourite of the Escape Room in a box games, mm. but I think going the Star Wars route is really interesting. It is disappointing, I would say, that none of them are a scenario specifically where you try and escape a trash compactor. <laughs> that uh, was exactly where my brain went, yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead, you are... There's one on Hoth. There's one, I think, where you're on a Star Destroyer. or There's there's an image of a space battle, so you're you're kind of in a space... In space somewhere. In and a then there's space. one mm. <laughs> In a space. Uh, and then there's one set on, uh, gosh, what's the name of the planet in Rogue One? Jeddah. Uh, the prequel film, Jeddah, thank you. So there's one set on Jeddah, 
Uh, so it kind of takes place just before the first Star Wars. I'm really hoping the Hoth one you've been film. inserted into a, a tauntaun the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And you're trying to get out through its guts. It does yeah. show someone riding a tauntaun. So, yeah, the hope is that you're just trying to solve puzzles inside the stomach. It's like, <laughs> oh, here's a coded liver. Or, is that oh, I need to combine point? the kidney with the lung. You, we must, you must deduce clues from the Tauntaun's last meal in order to <laughs> find out how to escape. Mm. Oh, you're uh, one of those but, little ships that are flying around the... What are they, are they the ATTs? Oh, so you're a snowspeeder. Yeah, and you're like, oh, God, just, just shoot the spear, oh, you missed, and then you get it in, and you have to, like try and fly around the legs but then no you miss and you fly into one of the legs and you blow up <laughs> I don't think we're going to be uh, approached to write any Star Wars escape room scenarios anytime soon are we <laughs> we should Probably be because we, but, to be honest we would just fill it with gonk droids yeah we really would <laughs> escape from the gonk droid uh, <laughs> one so this, gonk uh, droid can only gonk the truth sorry <laughs> carry on uh, I was just going to say, so this uh, it's called uh, inventively Unlock Star Wars, oh, yeah, uh, and it be. is due for release in late August, according to Asmodee France, and then French media website uh, Trick Track has dated it for August the twenty third. It's worth saying here that so far, as far as we've seen, there's only the French version that's been kind of revealed, uh, but I would very much expect it will come out in English. Um, but who knows whether that will be a little bit later in the year? Uh, I don't believe they put a price on it either. I think. The original Unlock series was about 30 quid or something like that for, for the free scenarios in one box. Uh, and you can reuse them, unlike the Exit games. So you could pass on the box to someone else, because it's all done for a companion app. So Okay, cool. Yeah, how's it'll be your, interesting to see. French, Matt? Actually, so my wife speaks very good French, because mm, she used to live go. in we'll Mauritius. There you go, we'll just play so. with her. <laughs> yeah. Non, je suis ton père. It just adds another layer of trying to work things out. Um, all right, let's move on. Wow, there's a lot of sci-fi news, I've just realised. It mm. wasn't deliberate, this just happened to be pew, how the, the week panned yeah. out. Uh, pew Pew uh, <laughs> is a noise that you could associate with Warhammer 40,000. Oh, um, that's definitely not the noise I associate with that. No, it's more of a stompy, Yelling. splattery <laughs> chainsaw yeah, noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space Marine. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah about that. So they announced a, a new ninth edition of Warhammer 40,000 a few weeks or months back. Who knows what time is anymore? Mm. Um, uh, but they have now kind of announced the first big release for it, which is called Indomitus, which is a very Warhammer 40,000 name. Um, it's, it's described as a box set. It's not quite a starter set because it doesn't include any dice and it doesn't include any kind of tape measures or anything like that. Mm. So it's, it appears to be kind of aimed towards people that have already played 40k and are kind of looking to step into this new edition uh it comes with 61 miniatures so you've got your primary space marines uh they are space marines they do what you expect of yep. space marines there's a few kind of additions um and then there's loads of necrons there's 37 necron models so Oof. they make up the bulk of it um and they look pretty great uh so and then it, alongside those models it will include kind of the core rule book uh, and it will include like a little law booklet that has some details on the specific units in the set, uh, transfers, that kind of thing. And then I believe that's kind of it. So it's kind of your models, your rules, like a little law booklet, uh, some reference sheets, that kind of a thing. Mm. But like I say, no dice, no measures. So 
like I said, it, it appears to be more of a box set for people that are already in the game rather than... They've also said it will be limited edition around launch, so right. it's not going to be the new box to go out if you're trying to introduce someone to uh, to 40k. Yeah. So that is due for release next month. So I we've think kind of got smart. a date on the new edition. I think it's yeah. I think it's smart play. I've said I said in the podcast before that you know, um, that they're, they're definitely trying to say to eighth head players like, you don't have to buy everything all over again. You know, we're not resetting the clock. Yada yada yada. And so, you know, making sure that people can pick up the models without then having a load of bits that they have to flog on someone else. It's, um, yeah, it's the right way to go about it. Mm. I say, I every time a new 40k comes around, as a former Warhammer player, every time I look at it, I go, wow, these models are, like, they're really nice. They're really nice models. Maybe I should get into it. And then I remember that I have to paint, and well, not glue because they're pushfit now, but I have to paint up those 61 miniatures. Yep. And that's not something that's going to happen. So then I just end up in the like, oh, right, like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. They've been doing some really interesting stuff with 40K recently. So the new edition for folks that might have missed the initial announcement is kind of billed as, it's like a small step up from 8th edition. So it's not a complete overhaul in the same way that 8th edition was. It's kind of more just tweaking uh, and putting more of a focus on the narrative side. So there are new game modes that focus on kind of story-driven battles um, and kind of diving into the lore, which is cool. I, and it makes sense because they're really going heavy on the lore in various TV shows and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, um, if, they, if, if, you know, we're not going to get any takers for our ideas for Star Wars on lore... <laughs> Maybe we can start pitching some storylines for Warhammer adventures. Sure. You know, like the mystery of the the missing lemon cake. They did do. Uh, there was a series of kids books not that long ago, which was what? a curious thing in itself. Because you don't necessarily look at Warhammer 40k and go, oh yeah, the that's kids love for this. like under tens, yeah. space Nazis <laughs> and death. But um, mm. yeah, they did do they've been pretty smart with with what they have i think they obviously know that it is a huge thing that people you know whether for nostalgic reasons or just whatever people are drawn mm. to so yeah well watch out warhammer i'm, I'm yeah. sending sending emails <laughs> oh, goodness uh <laughs> last on the news list moving on is magic the gathering which has banned some racist and culturally offensive cards um, some of these are quite shocking, actually. So um, many of them date back to the 90s. Uh, there are seven cards named specifically. Um, so Invoke Prejudice, Cleanse, Stone Throwing Devils, Pradesh Gypsies, Jihad, Imprison, and Crusade. So they've been banned from all tournament play, and they've also mm. been replaced in the Gatherer, which is the online database of Magic the Gathering cards. They've been replaced by text uh, that says, uh, we've removed this card image from our database due to its racist depiction, text, or combination thereof. Racism in any form is unacceptable and has no place in our games nor anywhere else. Yeah. Which, it, to be fair to them, is a good start. You know, there's there's a lot of work to be done um, in Magic and in Wizards uh, regarding a lot of this stuff. But I think the fact they were quite upfront about these cards, it's kind of shocking that it's taken this long. Because some of them came out in 1994. Yeah. Um, so they, they call out Invoke Prejudice, which was released in 94. Um, so the year after Magic originally oh. came out, which has uh, kind of hooded figures um, and 
its ability. Uh, so if opponent casts a summon spell that does not match the color of one of the creatures under your control, oh, the no. spell is counted where the caster uh. pays an additional X, where X is the casting cost of the summon spell. Oh, so essentially it gross. stops stops the other player playing any other color to some degree. And the last um, four digits of the multiverse ID were 1488, which is... Yes. Hideous. Oh no! Yeah, which uh, so the the multiverse code is is kind of like the chronological order of when cards came out. So they just assigned it at random. So it, it appears, and there's no reason to not believe them on this point that it was just an, a very unfortunate um, coincidence. Mm. Um, for folks not aware, 1488 is used as a kind of a right wing and alt right uh, reference to some really severely racist, nasty. Um, things with links to Nazism and and yeah, just deep unpleasantness. Um, yeah, and I, it's and I believe the fourteen words, which is a, a statement about securing a future for white children specifically, and then eight is the eighth letter of the alphabet, so H H Heil Hitler, which is yeah. pretty grim. So yeah, they have they've already updated its multiverse code, so that is now gone. Um, and like I say, they've replaced the images with text stating as much and all the cards are banned. And they've said, Wizards of the Coast have said that they're going to go through all the cards released for Magic the Gathering, which at this point is over 20,000, um, and review them all. Which, again, there's a lot of work to be done in the industry in general. Um, and certainly, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering things with histories going back many years. Um, and even more recent things, you know, there's there's... There's a lot to be done, but it's nice to see a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. hopefully, you, think, uh, you know, I would. I mean, at least they're doing it. But like you, you would hope that they it would have been something they'd started doing, you know, quite a while ago, where mm. they're like aware of the fact that this stuff. I mean, still though, the nineties, like it's not like, you know. <laughs> I mean, the nineties were like over. T- you know, like nineteen ninety four was like over twenty years ago, but that's still not that long ago. And you mm. think, firstly, this stuff shouldn't be put out on magic cards anyway. But like, secondly, you'd think, you'd hope that they would make the effort to review it, like fairly frequently, not like all suddenly. Hang on, maybe we should check this. Mm. Um, yeah. But so they're going forward. Hopefully they'll have a better policy. Mm. Yeah, so their, their announcement statement said, it should have never been published nor placed in the gatherer, and for that we are sorry. The events of the past weeks and the ongoing conversation about how we can better support people of colour have caused us to examine ourselves, our actions and our inactions. We appreciate everyone helping us to recognise when we fall short. We should have been better, we can be better, and we will be better. Mm. So, again, they they appear to be taking some... You know, Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of work to be done, but hopefully a step in the right direction. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and with that, shall we move on to questions from Ooh. the audience? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you would like to send a question into the Dicebreaker podcast, you can email podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can find us on Twitter at join Dicebreaker, where you can just tweet us with your hot takes or something you'd like to know. Um, or you can just generally find us around the internet. You know where to find us. If you're listening to this, you found us somewhere. <laughs> Let us know. We'll find you, uh, and we might answer your question. Uh, so, Alex, m- actually, Johnny, would you like to read this one from Revolver Rock? Yes. Dear Dicebreaker team, 
I know Johnny will play fast and loose with the rules when it comes to TTRPGs for the sake of fun or time restraints. What is everyone's opinion on the rule of fun? How far will you go with it? Would you turn a blind eye so that your players can avoid a party wipe? Or do you see that as a central and important part of the experience? When I first read this, I was like, I play, play by the... Uh, no, I, I do throw <laughs> no. them out the window every now and then. Come on, uh, let's it, not kid ourselves. It is mostly for time restraints. Like, me and you're playing in a campaign that I'm running just for funsies. Like, mm. I feel like I, I stick to the rules for that. <laughs> no, like, obviously, uh, and we've talked about this, uh, mm. peek beh- behind the curtain, uh, viewers and listeners, when you're recording an RPG uh, for a series, sometimes time can be an issue mm. and you don't realize how long things are running until you actually get in there and the players start interacting with the world uh and inevitably you're gonna have to think on the fly and uh alter things as you go um so but when you're just playing with a group of friends you can be a bit more lenient but then again like people get bored like Mm. You can play a great RPG campaign for, you know, for ages, and no matter how good it is, if you're playing it for, like, a significantly long time, people are going to get tired of it. Like, I've been there where I've been, you know, we've had entire weekends where we've been playing, you know, a campaign that's designed to, you know, be, be played over that weekend, and when it is going on for as long as it is and people are just like desperate to stop for the day you know it can be really great stuff but yeah (laughs) i think when it comes to like the rule of fun and bending the rules like you know people will say like oh can i use this magic spell to do this well that's not really the letter of the law but if saying no feels kind of mealy-mouthed or like it's preventing something that would be good character work or good progression. I'm happy to sort of bend the rules a little bit or mm. strike a bargain with them. You know, be like, okay, devil's bargain. Yes, it, you can do this, but, you know, you'll take some damage or you'll take a you know f- level of fatigue or something. Yeah, yeah. like um, we've, we've done stuff like that before. Like you, yeah. can, you can, like RPGs aren't the, the GM versus the player. Exactly. They are, it's a collaborative experience and like, as a player before, I've said to the the GM, "Can this happen instead?" Like, I uh, instead of like a complete failure or when it feels like something should go wrong, mm. I genuinely veer towards, "Yeah, I don't. I want to take a negative effect just because yeah. I feel like it would be more interesting." Mm. Mm. Talking about turning a blind eye so players can avoid a party wipe. I don't. I don't believe in total party wipes. Like I don't. I don't see what purpose they serve, because it it does just feel adversarial. If someone's like, "Yeah, man, we were fighting this thing and it killed our entire party," that to me just says like the GM didn't offer them. Probably, probably didn't offer them a solution to to get out of there or, you know. It, you know, sure, the players might be like, we are all going to go down in a blaze of glory, but if it's like, the whole party's dead, what's the point? It's like, that. there's no... There's, in, in a, you know, you're just starting again. Whereas, even if just one person made it out, and maybe they were grievously injured or whatever, but then, you know, they met new characters and went on, but they always had the ghost of this past behind them, that's infinitely more narratively interesting than 
you got into a situation you couldn't handle, now you're all dead. Whoops, same time next week, let's make new characters. Yeah, yeah I, I I understand why it's 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 there. Mm. But like the whole let's say like meme aspect of RPGs where it's like the DM is gonna kill you. Oh you're but you you know when you have the mugs where it's like the DM is evil or like yeah. determining how it's going you know, how they're going to kill you. I really don't like that because mm-hmm. I'm like I think one it encourages like again, like a competitive aspect between the DM and the players and that's just not how it should work. And like two, like you're supposed to like the DM. You're supposed to be mates with them. You're not supposed yeah. to be like, even if it's ironic, like they're meant to be the director, right? If you put it in film terms, yeah. they're meant to yeah. be the director and the party to some degree are meant to be the stars, in that they exist for not you, not for you to look always good, you know, because that yeah. is boring no, in itself. That but is boring. For yeah, you to have a great experience. Mm. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm with you, and I think anything that if it's necessary to strip out for just to keep the momentum going or to again there's a reason why dms most of the time the rule book advises rolling behind a screen yeah because that's a lot you know you're not there to stick to the letter of the law you're not playing a game to do accurate maths you're there to tell a fun story and to have fun mm-hmm. so yeah. why i think you would only be hindering yourself if you've stuck to the letter of the rule book and we're just like nobody's enjoying this because it's taking too long or it's killed everyone or it's just rubbish yeah i do who's that benefiting Mm -hmm. i do think that the rules are there like good rules a good rule system they're there to to still provide structure and a challenge so Mm. like I don't believe that players and like I can sometimes struggle with this because I can feel guilty when I'm making it difficult for my players because like I want them to enjoy themselves I want them to succeed but at the same time just giving it to them isn't satisfying for anyone so like even when you're like sitting there and your players are a bit frustrated or they're like you know oh I I didn't get what I wanted Mm. and we we work with someone who can sometimes be a little bit like that. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Uh, no, we love you, Wills. I love you, Wills. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, like, it's still worth standing your ground because, yeah, like, it's not about handing to them on a plate, but it's also not about, like you know being a nasty person mm. johnny's On... still grinning <laughs> no, i just had a powerful powerful flashback to i think the moment that predicated that comment it's quite funny <laughs> no I, I do love wheels obviously no no uh, like he you you you've got to have different player types like yeah and it makes it more interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. he certainly does um Miam, would you like to read this one on a similar vein actually from emily shiel okay emily shiel asks hi i'd love to get some insights on getting into D when you don't have a group of friends that are into it i find starting a campaign and learning all the rules over super overwhelming so some beginner tips would be very useful hmm. um this sounds like I'm being a contrarian for the sake of it, but yeah, don't play D&D. Yeah, I know. We were, we're just going to say that. 
like probably is a, yeah it, it is overwhelming and it is a lot to mm. absorb and it is a lot to get across to other people especially if they're not yet you know not already into it you're also having to sell it to them and that's a lot so start somewhere else get them on the hook with a different game something easier like quest mm. you know we bang on about it all the time um it's an, an incredibly simple game to pick up um it's set in a very sort of similar feeling world so it will be easy to convert them to D&D if that's where you want to end up uh, but it's just it's just great and it's it's a book geared towards people who are starting out in RPGs it's a really gentle guide and I just think yeah if you want to learn to play D&D learn to play a different game <laughs> it's again it sounds so like but um, yeah the thing is, I can kind of get... I do understand why people want to learn D&D and, like, why they suggest it because people are aware of D&D and, like, if you're selling, you know, can we play an RPG to a group of people who've never done it before, D&D is a recognisable, you know, example of that and, in fact, some people might not know that there's anything else but D&D. That's mm -hmm. the problem. So I do understand why people do jump to D&D because it is hugely popular, you know, it's it's everywhere. But um yeah, I think if you're struggling with the rules, and I, you know, like I can find it overwhelming too. Like, you know, D&D again, you can strip it down, but like there are still uh there's still a lot of there to to juggle, especially if you're GMing. And it's like regardless of whether you use like a set campaign or not, sometimes the set campaigns can be harder to deal with. So like maybe even try some solo RPGs to start with. Like get your head around those. Get more confident with doing that kind of on the fly, you know, um you know, creating stories on the fly. And then dip your toe into the myriad of other RPGs that are out there that have much more straightforward rule sets, mm. like, you know, Lasers and Feelings. Yeah. Or, or any of those, you know, some of those RPGs. I'd say even Blaze in the Dark is more straightforward yeah. than D&D. Yep. &D. Like, and they're all in that bundle. So if you've got the bundle... I think there's an element as well, of like, like you're both kind of saying, what is the reason you're playing D&D? If it's because you know of it, obviously, you know, it is, it's the easiest thing to, to jump to because sometimes it's hard to go out and search for something that is an alternative. But I think, you know, there are so many resources, Dicebroker included, but there are loads of great resources out there. You know, even asking on Twitter, you know, there'll be plenty of people that will come back to you with suggestions of RPGs that either dive into specific things that are similar to D&D. &D. But it's, I think, you know, why aren't your friends gelling with it you know is it because that they don't like the theme or is it because of the rules because there is the potential then to as me and johnny were saying kind of pick up a different rpg and even if you play something like quest or another fancy rpg if you decide that then you really like the look of a particular D, &D book you know a lot of that stuff is applicable across like stat blocks will be different but you can take the kind of basic story points and adapt them particularly in a much kind of more simple RPG where you don't have to worry about 20 different stats for a monster and 40 different keywords that you're looking up in the back. You can just kind of take an idea and run with it. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, it's worth doing, like looking, like me and says looking, and Johnny, looking at 
simpler RPGs looking at doing one shots rather than jumping straight into a campaign mm, we kind of said this definitely. before like the temptation is to be like let's do a campaign like let's get going yeah you know take it step by step like if you really want to play D&D you know start with just the basics just strip out half of the rules because half of them are really boring and unnecessary anyway encumbrance you know, just get yeah spell like, casting um, requirements <laughs> all of that oh. stuff it's like it's no like we were just saying it's no fun so find the stuff that you're going to find fun because no one's going to come after you you know you're you're playing for the benefit of your group so if you find the things that you're going to enjoy whether it's in D&D or a different game like that ultimately is what's important mm-hmm. I'm going to come out and say it right I think D&D is at war of itself right because on the one hand it's got to please an audience of people who have been playing it for a while and they're used to having things like you know spell casting requirements spell slots you know like um yeah like move like movement you know or speed stats things like that and but it's also obviously what's a larger group of people playing um who aren't familiar with it and they're introducing new ideas that are kind of trying to make it more attractive to those people mm-hmm. so like the critical role rule book like a lot of people watch critical role but they don't play dungeons and dragons and they're like oh this could be my entry point and then i'm like you know that's great but it's still clinging on to some of the old stuff because they're mm. afraid of changing it to the point where their audience are going to start accusing them of like you know um what's the word like watering down the the rule set and the experience and I'm just like, you're gonna decide. You're gonna have to decide someday, my mm. friends, because you can't just keep walking the tightrope. Yep, I'm right there well, with you. There you go. No, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's it's a lot of legacy stuff to take on, and I think that's something people don't realise when they're like, yeah. it, it's time for me to get into D and D. Like you were saying with indie games, I think that's the thing that really stands about. Them stands out about more recent games is just how nimble they are just yeah there's with five pages of rules or even two pages or a single page you can get just as much of an experience because it really puts the focus on the storytelling rather than the number crunching because dnd kind of grew out like the wargaming scene and it's never really escaped that yeah like it's always been crunchy like the idea of playing i i used to play pathfinder and oh. now looking back and thinking that that was kind of my entry point where we were trying to play with gridded maps and the combat was move this number of squares and this is your... Looking back, I'm amazed that I stuck with RPGs as long as we did. <laughs> and I think it's just because we had a fantastic GM who would strip out the bits that we found uninteresting or mm. boring or too much. But yeah, just like they are... Yeah, they feel very dated now when there are so many amazing things out there. They're cheap... They're made by really inventive and, you know, talented designers. Like, there's more than enough out there. Quest is a great example. You know, uh, I will read this one from Amethyst Bookworm. 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 Uh, on Twitter. Thank you for your question. Uh, what's the one game you feel feel needs more attention, and the one game which is overrated? So I guess this could be board game or tabletop RPG. Flux is overrated. Flux is oh. nonsense. Flux is rubbish. Um, I I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, flux sucks. Yep. 
Um, sucks. <laughs> sucks with two X's. Uh, what needs more attention? I, for that, I would jump in and say there's a really nifty little game called Shobu, which came out last year, um, which is an abstract game. So it's just, it's literally played on four wooden boards, which are gridded. I think they're eight by eight, something like that. There's a, a bit of rope in between them. So the box is literally four wooden boards that are a bit like wooden chopping boards, a bit of rope, and then black and white stones, just pebbles. Um, but it's really just, it's really brilliant. So when you, it's a bit like chess and that it's just black versus white, you're moving to knock pieces off. But there's a brilliant twist in that your first move, you can't collide with any other pieces on the board. And then that move is mirrored exactly on the board opposite to it. So if you move your piece on the board one side of the rope, you then have to move this like a matching piece the other side of the rope. Mm. And that piece can collide with opponent's stones and force them off the board. And you uh, win by forcing uh, all the stones off of a single board. Like I'm making it sound much more complicated than it is. But it's just one of those really clever ideas that feels instantly kind of timeless because it's so simple it uses these kind of natural components you know you could you could probably put it together at home with a couple of bits of paper or you could draw it in sand and play with some pebbles at the beach um i would obviously recommend paying for it and supporting the people that created it but that's what i mean it's like it just feels so brilliantly smart with no ro- rules overhead you know you can learn it straight away um so yeah i just i really really love shobu it feels in the same vein as something like hive where it's just like this should be around for like decades, centuries, you know. Um, I think, I mean, obviously, I think Crocodile should be in every pub in the world <laughs> and bar billiards. You look at other games, you're like, why? Why are you the standard? Where's, why have you got a pool table? Get rid of it. Crocodile, yeah. Crocodile. Um, I'd say this might be hot takes. Um, I'm gonna say I think one of the big overrated games for me is King of Tokyo um, I understand why people like it so much because it is a good entry point game uh, again for people who don't play board games that much and maybe it's just because I like I know so many people who own it and play it uh, that I've gotten like exhausted by it but I just think it's just it's just very like limited in what you can get out of it because I really like push your luck games like I think they're really awesome like it's why I think like clank is so good because it 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 pushes the push your luck mechanic in multiple different levels like there's various ways you can interact with that mechanic but like king of tokyo which is you know less complicated than clank but like it's very much like each each turn is very similar to the next regardless of your situation and there's just not a heck of a lot you can do in the game Mm. Uh, I think it's very much one you stick down and then people don't really pay attention to it and they just sort of talk over it which is fine but like I'm kind of a bit done with it now mm-hmm. um, maybe I've become one of those insufferable, peop- insufferable people that are like oh you'll play king of Tokyo <laughs> oh, you're. 
Um, uh, and I think a game that is underrated is Team Free. Have you guys mm. played Team Free? No. Matt's nodding. He's nodding. Um, pink or green? I don't think it really matters that much. Um, it's a party game which instantly you're like, oh, okay. Um, but like, it's a game where you have to work as a team of people. Uh, and one person, um, I think one person can't, is it one, help me out. It's the monkeys, course. right? One person yeah. can't see. Oh, can't yes, hear. I've seen this. And the one person, person can't yeah. speak. I think it's literally the free See no monkeys, evil, so. hear no evil, speak no evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like, the person one person has a card which has a pattern on it and there are like a series of different shaped blocks uh and the person with the card has to basically like they can't speak so they have to sort of mime out the shape of the block uh and the next person has to like can't see the card they have to describe what the other person is miming uh to the other person who has to put the <laughs> who has to put the structure together um, without looking so they're blind essentially they have to keep their eyes closed and it's like it's just such a fantastic premise with very little actually physically involved like it's just a set of cards and a set of blocks hmm. but like the imagine I really like it when party games particularly get really imaginative particularly with like space and how people mm. use it and how they interact with each other in, within that space and i think team free like we played it in a board game cafe last year and it was just hilarious like we were laughing our heads off just playing it um i just think it's again like I don't think a board game has to have a billion elements or mechanics to be good. Mm -hmm. I just think they have to be clever with the potential for those mechanics. Yeah. I think taking away things as well often leads to more interesting mm. games. Taking like limited communication or limited whatever yeah. it may be. Like Happy Salmon where you can't talk is infinitely yeah. better than Happy Salmon where you can. Yeah. Apart from the mind, which... Yeah. Mm. Are we getting a reputation of hate the mind? Hate I don't the hate it. Like it, it's a fascinating thing. But yeah, like as particularly having played the crew now, it's like oh, this is like a, a real kind of interesting yeah. way that feels like substantial. Uh, I don't think I said something that I felt was overrated, but I thought of it while you were chatting away, uh, me and I'm going to throw this out there because Lolis isn't here. Quest of Quedlingburg <laughs> is just fine. Oh! It's just okay. Oh, you're stabbing her in the heart. It's also, I think it's also uh, Wolfgang Varsh, who is the designer of the mind, so I'm sorry, Wolfgang. I, it's nothing personal. Like, I don't think it's a bad game by anything. It's just, it didn't set the world on fire for me. I was just like, yeah, this is, is fine. It because, like, is it because Lolis talks about it a lot? No, I, I was indifferent to it before I met Lolis. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I th it's, it's like a, it's a fun enough game, but I would never pull it out and, like, play it with someone over something else. It's just yeah. like, yeah. I'll sit through this. Apologies for my cat going. <laughs> oh, apologies for my cat who just ambushed me from the side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a cat to I'm do sorry. that with. Should we do one uh, more? Yeah, let's do one quick one. Uh, Johnny, if you'd like to take this one from Saul Reed, 
Uh, Silreed says, well, seeing that I'm probably going to be listening while baking for my village and food is currently on my mind, what is the best snacking food for long session board games? Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like obviously nothing too greasy so you don't mm. mess up the, the bits. So I feel like breadsticks maybe breadsticks and dip yeah like breadsticks is a good alternative sticks. to crisps because crisps often have like yeah residue um the doritos dust the, effect you can always the count crisp residue you can always count on one of my friends to go to a turkish uh supermarket and get like really big flat breads and oh, yeah uh satsiki and taramasalata and hummus oh. so like you get all of like the goo and the the delicious taste of things but your hands are, are kind of fine yeah. mm. but it's confined it's confined to the bread yeah but mm. also if you can get them uh olives stuffed with anchovies are incredible mm. Mm. i feel like you need uh, a little cocktail stick or a fork or something you do a yeah. bit yeah yeah because otherwise the the oil will mm. go everywhere i really like pretzels and the problem with pretzels is that obviously they've got some of the salt on there mm-hmm but uh, like from they're not greasy like crisps and i i really if you give me a bowl of pretzels i will munch through those quite happily yep um so yeah that, that that's what i'm putting forward pretzels eat right. more pretzels eat more pretzels the dice breaker <laughs> dice breaker recommends pretzels eat more pretzels <laughs> Uh, and I think with that, that's all we have time for this week. Mm. Oh. Uh, so time but flies when you're you, having fun, Matt Jarvis. It does indeed. Time flies, although this podcast is always roughly the same length, mm-hmm. uh, and it always feels about as long. But uh, before we leave you, Johnny, what's coming up on the video <laughs> side? The return of Dungeon Breaker. Yes, Dungeon oh. Breaker is back. We've finished our little run of Deadlands: The Weird West, so uh, yeah, we're straight back in. We've had a little lineup change, which I think people will enjoy. Um, yes. And then coming up next week, what have we got? Um, more painting, more podcast, more Dungeon Breaker, a bit more of everything, really. So yeah, it's um, it's we're ticking on. Is how I'd say, but headline Dungeon Breaker. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, that was amazing fun. It was good to be back, and yeah, the the new party member. I think just oh, oh yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, when can the people expect Dishonored, my good friend? Good question. Next week, probably. Next next week, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. It's coming at some point. We've not fi- finally nailed that down yet, but soon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, over on the website, uh, we have so we have obviously the the usual kind of recommendations coming up for various, well, to whatever you're looking for really, whether you're looking to to get folks into board games for the first time, or uh, we have Alex. Mean you've spoken with the folks at D and D about Ferros or Odysseys yes. of Ferros, is it called? The uh, let me correct you on that. Um, mm. Mythic Odysseys of Veros. Mm. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I felt so smug doing that. You sounded um, it. I think uh, you'll find. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favourite voices to do. Um, yeah, I spoke to the co lead designers on uh, the new source book that is currently out. 
called yeah, Mythic Odysseys of Feros. It's based on the Magic the Gathering expansion, and it's kind of focused on you know Greek myths and Greek gods. Uh, and we had a very interesting conversation about kind of how the source book came about, um, you know, the ideas behind it, uh, and what people can expect from uh, using it in their campaigns. So uh, hopefully. That piece should be out next week. Yeah, again, coming soon. <laughs> coming <laughs> who, who knows what soon. time is at the moment. Uh, <laughs> and and on the subject of Magic the Gathering and previews, we'll also have a preview of the new Magic the Gathering Core Set 2021, which is more exciting than its very generic name sounds. Um, so we'll have a look at that and what's new in that uh, as the kind of big Magic release of the year. And then we'll have the various daily news and looks at games and whatever you're looking for we'll have mm. it so head on over to dicebreaker.com or youtube.com slash dicebreaker and yes. we'll be about you'll see us playing games and commenting and, uh, on them mr jarvis i believe Hello. we have some uh objects that people can wear oh we do where would they go to find those uh, you mean uh the dicebreaker merchandise store at yeah. dicebreaker.myshopify.com which now ships to both the UK and the US uh, for our American fans. Uh, yeah. We have, I believe, four T-shirt designs at the moment. We have some more incoming very soon, which is exciting stuff. There's some real, real good stuff in the way, but real good stuff already up there. Uh, you've probably seen the team wearing uh, the Big Deck Energy and Be Nice Roll Dice shirts. Uh, wood for sheep. My cat's clawing my arm, which really hurts. Um, <laughs> and also, oh. is that one of the shirts? And also, luck be a lady. No, that's not a shirt. That's just me bleeding hurts. from the elbow. Because she's decided she no longer wishes to sleep on my cleric robe. Um, so yes, um, head over to to uh, dicebreaker.myshopify.com yeah. to rock uh, some of the Dicebreaker merch. But with that, yeah, we will leave you. Expect pigeon mail. Expect what, sorry? Pigeon mail. Pigeon mail? Yeah, be delivered by pigeons. Oh, right, yeah, just a pigeon carrying a shirt. Anyway, yeah. should we wrap this podcast up? Yes. Who knows why it overruns every time? Can't um, possibly say. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me, Johnny Chiodini. My very great pleasure, as always. Thank you for joining us, Alex Meehan. Pigeon mail! <laughs> uh, I've been Matt Jarvis, and thank you for listening to us, whatever we go on about, uh, for the last <laughs> hour and a half. Uh, and we will be back here, this place on the internet, or in your ears, or in your eyes, next Friday for, the, for next week's Dicebreaker podcast. Until then, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Bye.